We all have that weird uncle at Thanksgiving or Christmas that you don't really want to sit next to at the dinner table, right? He's always sharing those bizarre religious ideas or radical political ideas. Everybody's got that crazy uncle like that, right? It's not, it's not just my family. Well, you know what? I did have that at my family Thanksgiving this year. Uh, the first time I saw him was when I looked in the mirror that morning. Because <laughs> Yes, I'm the crazy uncle nowadays. I'm the crazy uncle in my family with all these crazy religious opinions. And so I, I guess I, I will wear that role proudly. Okay, I have found my place in this world. I am your crazy uncle. So in today's edition of the Crazy Uncle Podcast, we're going to build on what the past couple of lessons have been talking about, where we established who the sons of God are and who the Nephilim are. Okay, so we are moving forward from there. We're going to talk about somewhere else that the Nephilim show up after the flood of Noah. Yes, they did come back after the flood. And so first we had to establish how they first showed up before the flood. And now we can talk about how they came back after the flood. So if you're not on board with that, you just need to go back and listen to the last couple episodes again until you are. Okay, that's all I can tell you. If you are on board, grab a Bible, turn to Numbers 13, and let's get weird. Welcome to Weird Stuff in the Bible, where we explore scripture passages that are bizarre, perplexing, or just plain weird. This is Luke Taylor, and I'm your crazy uncle for today, and we're going to be talking about when the Nephilim came back. Do we know when the sons of God came back down and tried all that stuff again that they did prior to the flood? Well, no, I don't know exactly when it happened, but Genesis 6 already told us that before the flood was not the only time. Genesis 6-4 says there were Nephilim, or giants, in the earth in those days, and also after that. So it happened in those days, and it would happen again. These spiritual beings who were in charge of certain sectors of humanity, they were called the sons of God, they came down and impregnated human women. Now, this is a hard, this is a hard pill for people to swallow, okay? <laughs> and how did this happen? You know, did they, did they create sexual organs to reproduce with women? the essentially the normal way that humans reproduce. Okay, perhaps they did that. That's my theory on how they did it. I think as we study more about the capabilities of angels and spiritual beings, this is not really as far-fetched as it sounds. But if that does sound a little bit too weird, you could say perhaps that they impregnated women in a similar way to how God caused Mary to become pregnant. You know, God supernaturally caused a life to begin in her womb. And you could say perhaps the sons of God did something similar to the women of those of their days. You know, that's not how I look at it. That's how some do. That makes a little bit more sense to some people that way. So regardless of how exactly it happened, like the mechanics of it all, the Bible is clear that it did happen. Okay, now I don't know if it was the same sons of God who tried it the first time, and maybe they just hadn't been locked away yet, or it, maybe it was a different group of the sons of God. But oops, they did it again. And so after the flood, there are once again Nephilim on the earth. The original line of Nephilim, they all died, okay? They didn't survive the flood, but there was a phase two at least, if not more phases, but there was at least a phase two line of Nephilim once again after the flood. It appears that they populated the land that was promised to Abraham and his descendants. That's why I believe this was literally a plot of the devil to inhibit God's promises by polluting that land trying to get these wicked, violent, 
gigantic demonic beings that were known as the Nephilim trying to get them all over that territory to keep the Israelites out of God's promised land for them. So they messed around with human women and they created this alternative race of beings. And again, they're, they're much larger in size than regular humans, okay? Uh, if we go all the way back in biblical history, there was a period of time where Abraham's descendants, where they were living in uh, Egypt, and eventually they, became, they become enslaved there, okay? But then God sent this man to set them free and bring them to the promised land. You've probably heard of this guy. His name was Charlton Heston, and he's the one who went and stood before Pharaoh. He got the children of Israel set free. And so they traveled through the Red Sea. They went through various trials. They come upon the land of Israel. And from this point on, Charlton Heston sends 12 spies in to check out the land and to come back with a game plan for how to take it. Okay, I'm, re I'm receiving a transmission right now from the Luke of the future. He's telling me that this Charlton Heston joke is not landing <laughs> because, listen, I grew up watching that Ten Commandments movie like again and again and again when I was like seven years old. But I, I don't think most people probably are familiar with that anymore. That was that was the actor who played Moses back in the day. OK, so uh, maybe I'm a little old fashioned in that sense. But Moses, OK, that's who obviously I'm talking about Moses here. So he sent 12 spies in to check out the land and they came back with a game plan for how to take it. OK, however, 10 of the 12 spies don't bring back a favorable report as they go and check out this territory. So numbers 13, 32 and 33. It says, so they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who had come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. So these 10 spies come back and they get everybody freaked out because they're saying that the promised land is full of the sons of Anak. The sons of Anak were Nephilim. Okay, some translations will say the giants. So why are they called sons of Anak right here? Okay, or some translations or, or other places in the Bible, they might call them the Anakim or the Anakites. But why, why, why are they called that? Well, they probably descended from somebody who was named Anak, okay? Again, these are phase two Nephilim. The first one of this second phase, he was probably named Anak, okay? Or maybe he, he founded a town called Anak. So these are known as the sons of Anak. And it is said that they were so big and so mighty that the Israelites, that they were like grasshoppers in their sight. Now, I, that's a bit of an exaggeration, okay? If we were to eat, take it literally, I mean, a grasshopper, you think of like a literal grasshopper, they're like one one hundredth the size of a human, okay? Itty bitty compared to us. Well, the Nephilim, they're not that much bigger than humans. They're more like a few feet taller than the average Israelite, okay? As we will read in the Bible, in a few places where they are described, they're more like seven to ten feet tall is kind of their range of height that we that we usually see. So they're not, you know, ten stories tall, a hundred stories tall. It's not like that. It's not like Godzilla. But they are just like an extra large size of human, okay? It's a bit of an exaggeration to, to pull out the grasshopper thing. But, but listen, I certainly acknowledge that they would have seemed int intimidating to, to come across, okay? Like, they, yeah, you wouldn't want to go pick a fight with them, sure. But God had told them that they could do it. That's a key point here. He, he said he was going to help them. They were going to be successful. And yet they were too afraid. They were too fearful. And so... 
Then God told them they're going to have to spend the next 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years in the desert until all of the cowards died out. And then the next generation could move in and they would fight the giants. So it was not God's intention to drown the giants once again with some cataclysmic flood. Okay, this time, God's intention was to have the humans wipe out the giants. And so that is what they were going to do. They came back 40 years later, Deuteronomy 9, verse 1. It says, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than you, cities great and fortified up to heaven. Verse 2, A people great and tall, the sons of the Anakim, whom you know, and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Verse 3, know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you, so you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly, as the Lord has promised you. So you see, when God puts something in front of you to do, he expects you to do it, okay? Or at least to try. But these guys, they chickened out, the, the original guys, I mean, they chickened out, they didn't have enough confidence in themselves, and they didn't have confidence in God to help them. Okay, hear me, people. Not having enough self-confidence, that is not an excuse that flies with God. Okay, when God says to do it, you do it. (laughs) I'm not going to get preachy. I was just throwing that in for free right there. Something to remember. Okay, so what happened when they got back into the land and they fought these giants and did actually kill them off? Was that the end of the Nephilim? Well, yes and no. Okay, yes, they did wipe out the Anakim, but we will find that there were actually a few different pockets of giants that were scattered around. Some were the Anakim, there were the Rephaim, and we're going to explore all that as we get into next week's lesson. So, hey, make sure you're subscribed because we want to continue on this journey through the Bible. We're going to get back into it next week. And I'm going to spend one more week here talking about this Nephilim stuff. I want to throw in a mailbag right here. I had a lot of response on the previous episode. And hey, I appreciate the comments. Um, I try to pick at least one to read on every episode. And so Joe, he says, uh, the phrase, which species of early human? That is indeed humorous, though unintentionally. Angel-human hybrid isn't strictly human. So what Joe is talking about right there is in the previous episode, I was uh, he's referring to an article that I referenced, and this was from Business Insider. And it included a line questioning, which species of early human must have used these gigantic axes that were discovered in an archaeological find over there in, over in England? And so, of course, when they talk about early species of human in that article, they are looking at it from an evolutionary perspective. So they they are thinking of like maybe there were these gigantic humans who must have lived long ago before they eventually evolved into the smaller humans of today. And I just thought it was funny the article put that line in there about which species of early early human was it? Because, <laughs> okay, that's not what I believe humanity came from. But yes... There was a human adjacent species who created those axes. And so I, I, it was an interesting line for a business insider to use that to, to describe it. So, yeah, I, that's why I kind of highlighted that line there, Joe. That was, that was something that stood out to me, too. So, guys, if you want to send more comments or emails, questions, whatever, weirdstuffinthebible at gmail.com. That's my email. Or if you're on a, a platform that takes comments, you could always do that as well. Now, if you remember a few episodes back, we started into an exploration of the book of Jude. And I said that for you to understand what was coming next in Jude, you needed to understand about the sons of God and the Nephilim, because Jude, this is a book that is about the world 
right before the end of the world. Jude is trying to teach us something about living in those last days. And if those are the days that we're living in, then Jude has something to teach you and I. So let's look at Jude 5 and 6 today. And and we're going to start with verse 5 right here. He says, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Wow, what a powerful verse right there. You know, some people talk about how they like Jesus, but they aren't so crazy about the Old Testament God. Guys, Jesus is the Old Testament God. He, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And, and Jude says right here, Jesus was the same God who killed off an entire generation in Numbers and Deuteronomy because they were afraid of the giants. I mean, Jesus did that. It's like, wow, <laughs> what a verse right there. You know, if your Jesus is a wimpy savior who was like too gentle to even use a fly swatter, you've got the wrong Jesus, okay? The, the real Jesus puts a sword in your hand and he tells you to go slaughter those half-demon human hybrids that are causing trouble in your neighborhood. <laughs> if you think that sounds a little bit too hardcore, just remember he had David do it with a slingshot, okay? So these Israelites had it easy compared to David. And, and let's remember what Jude is about, the book of Jude. The book of Jude is about apostasy. It's about falling away from God. And 2 Thessalonians says that just before the tribulation and the Antichrist and all that, he said there is going to be a great falling away. And when it says that, it's not talking about the rapture right there. I believe in the rapture, but the falling away is not the rapture, okay? The rapture is going to be a good thing. The falling away, that's a bad thing. It's a departure from the faith. It's people rejecting the truth of God and the gospel and the lordship of Jesus Christ over everything. Guys, there are a lot of people in churches that they will call Jesus Lord with their lips, but they won't make him their Lord. And that is apostasy. And that's what Jude is dealing with right here. So remember that everything in Jude is in threes. I covered this on my introductory to Jude episode. That was like episode four. Okay. Um, everything in the book of Jude comes in threes. And so in verses five, six, and seven of his book, he gives three examples of things that lead people to commit apostasy. The first one covered in verse five here is fear. The faithless, fear, fearful Israelites who would not go in and take the promised land. So God, or, or Jesus, as Jude says it, Jesus took them out of slavery in Egypt. He took them through the waters of the Red Sea. And then they crossed the desert and he led them as a pillar of fire and a cloud by, by, uh, cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. And he, he brought them to their special land Right as they get here on the border of it, they chickened out. They chickened out because of the giants. And Jude says, this is just like those apostates. They hear the gospel. They hear about, they believe Jesus is real, but they won't follow him and do what he says. Hey guys, listen, we are always going to be great at coming up with excuses to not do what God says. Okay, we always think that we have a good reason to disobey, that we are the exception to the rule, that like our, our situation makes us exempt from doing what God said. And we look at our problems, or we look at the things that we struggle with, our temptations, we look at our place in life, and we say, well, listen, guys, I'm a grasshopper. That's a giant, okay? And we say, like, that's, the, that's our excuse for not dealing with it. Hear me out, guys. If you look at the Israelites who were afraid to fight those giants, if you're on their side, if you're saying, well, hey, they had a point, okay? You know, it, it was, this was 
demon giants descended from the Nephilim. Like it, maybe they had a, if you, if you're on their side, if you're making excuses for them, if that's your attitude, I will tell you, you are not in the right headspace spiritually because when God says go after the giants, you go after the giants. And most of them were probably afraid because they're like, well, I might, I might die if I do this. But you know what? Hey, hey that could have been true. You go fighting giants, there's going to be some casualties, sure. But you know what? They're going to die anyway in the wilderness. You're, you're going to die. You're going to die one way or another. Might as well die doing what God told you to do. So this is the first example that Jude points to to teach us about things that will pull us away from God. And it's being a coward. It's being afraid to step forward and do what God has said to do. Instead, you make excuses and you try to back away. You call yourself the, the exception. Oh, I was going to go fight the battle. Sure. Till I found out it was giants. I don't know if God was, you know, was he prepared for how many giants were going to be over there? You know what? If God told you to do it, you do it. And someone who's not brave enough to stand for God and do what he says is a coward. And fear will drive somebody away from following God. What else will follow you? What, what else will make an apostate? Jude 6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So the second thing that Jude wants us to know about are the sons of God who rebelled. Remember the New Testament word for spiritual beings? It's a little bit more vague. When it says angels, that, that's a kind of a generic term for spiritual beings. The Old Testament is more specific. It calls them the sons of God. And these are beings whose job it was that they were assigned to their own territories over humanity. And they had a job that was to come to God's divine council meetings, and they were to act as representatives for their regions. However, Genesis tells us that they, they became entranced with human women. And so they left their positions up in the heavenlies, and they came down to interact and, and even to reproduce with human women. And so as I said in the last episode, this is the weirdest thing that I believe. And yet, it's what the Bible says. And, and I'll tell you what, guys, I have it on pretty good authority that the Bible is true. So as I said before, I don't know how many times they did this. There was a phase where it happened before the flood, and they clearly did it at least one more time after the flood. And, and perhaps they thought, you know, God says he's not going to flood the earth again. Maybe we could get away with it this time if we just tried it once more. And only Jude says they didn't get away with it because it says they've been locked away in chains in gloomy darkness. And that's referring to a dungeon in hell. So they've been locked away down there for a future judgment called the final judgment, probably talking about the great white throne judgment that's spoken of at the end of Revelation. And at that point, these sons of God who sinned, they are going to be thrown into the lake of fire for all eternity. So 2 Peter 2, this, this is a book, uh, a chapter that runs parallel to the book of Jude. And it's really fascinating. You put those two chapters side by side, the book of Jude and 2 Peter chapter 2, they will illuminate each other quite a bit. So 2 Peter 2, 4, it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So something interesting in 2 Peter 2, the word for hell right here, it's not the typical word for hell that's usually used in the New Testament. Usually, hell is the Greek word Hades. But right here, the Greek word for hell is Tartarus. And, and this is referring to the deepest and darkest part of hell. Hell actually has different levels. Some places in hell are worse than other places. And so these sons of God, who the ones who mated with human women, 
It says they were cast down into the deepest, darkest, worst part of hell, a place that is known as Tartarus. So these sons of God were apostates. They knew the truth. They believed that God was real. And they acknowledged, you know, he is that God's the creator of the universe. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. But they did not submit to him as their Lord. See, it's not enough to simply give, give God lip service and know that God is Lord. You also have to submit to him as Lord. But these particular sons of God, they were rebels against God. They didn't care to follow and obey him. You know, this was not a question of head knowledge. They knew the facts about God. They were spiritual beings. They knew more about God than you or I. This was a question of the heart. This was a character issue. They didn't fear God. They didn't obey God. They thought that they could rebel against him and just get away with it. And, you know, that's a bit like everybody who's ever played with sin, played with fire. They thought that they wouldn't get burned. And so Jude uses this as an example to teach us that whenever you rebel against God, you are an apostate and you will pay for it. There's a lot of places in scripture that Jude could have gone to to make this point. Lots of people who rebelled against God and they paid the price. He chose to go to literal angelic beings, people far above any human. And he uses them to make the point that if they couldn't get away with it, you can't either. So those are two of the three examples of apostasy that are right here in the book of Jude. There is one more to come. And we're going to tackle that in two weeks. Okay, next week, I want to talk just a bit more about these Nephilim that we see after the flood. And then in two weeks, so I think that'll be after Christmas, we're going to come right back here in Jude, and we're going to read a third example of apostasy that he gives us in verse 7. So the book of Jude uses some odd examples, but it has something that's vitally important to your life today. So if you think that Jude is weird, I hope that you're a little bit more weird today, too. Thanks for listening. God bless you for sticking around till the end, and we'll see you next time. 